One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the home of the song story, which we define primarily as the account of a vivid memory brought on involuntarily when listening to a piece of music. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Robert Bidney. Robert's a singer, songwriter, advertising professional, husband, and father of two sons. He's written songs that have been covered by an eclectic group of recording artists around the world and has songs under contract with publishers in Nashville, and he's recorded two albums that have been produced out in L.A. Over the years, his work has been used in national radio and TV commercials for companies like the Sports Authority, Levitt's Furniture, Michael's, PetSmart, and more. In the past, he's worked for Office Depot, Rexel Sundown, and large advertising agencies. He's currently employed by Chico's, producing their print work. Robert just celebrated 35 years with his wife, Beverly, who's a national award-winning journalist. They've got two sons, 31 and 32 years old, the eldest living in Pittsburgh and the youngest in Fort Myers. Robert has performed all over the country, including at the Island Hopper Song Fest for the past three years, and he's an active member of the Americana Community Music Association in Fort Myers, which is how we came across him. Now, let's get to his song stories. Hey there, Robert. How you doing? Hello, Mike. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you so much. I said uh, as you were coming in for doing this on relatively short notice, I think you're probably in our top three of people who've had the least amount of time to think about it. Oh, wow. So, I love being in that group. Uh, which is, you know, good, I guess, because some I people... I hate to think. You hate to think, and we didn't give you any time to do any extra thinking. <laughs> Um, okay, we, uh, we're going to get into the musical background of your childhood in a second, but I know you've written some jingles over the years. I have. What is the key? If you had to distill down the key to doing a jingle, like what is your way in? Um, I like to be melodic. I think it's important to have a catchy uh, tune. The words could be the words, save huh. or sell or, you know, you'll love it or whatever. The, but if you have a catchy tune like uh, NBC, it will last forever. Huh. Well, McDonald's, uh, you know, all of those jingles. Well, we'll get more into that as we get through the show. But I also want part of the back of your brain to be thinking up a three song stories jingle for us that we can talk about at the end cool. of this episode. So when we get to the end of this, maybe something will have percolated up by then. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, born in New York City in Queens uh, up until six years old and then uh, most of my childhood in uh, Columbus, Ohio, then down to east, southeast Florida. Okay. So what was the musical background or how would you describe the musical background of your childhood there? My musical background was my father. He um, grew up being a uh, concert viol- uh, violinist uh, in New York City uh, and then was drafted into World War II, and he gave it up hmm. uh, after that and just went and got a regular job, got married, and had us. Hmm. What kind of music uh, uh, was being played around the house? The music being played around the house, which is um, uh, kind of about my first song, uh, what were uh, standards like the Sinatras and Tony Bennett's and uh, you know Johnny Mathis's of the world? Uh, that's what was played very loud <laughs> Saturday mornings. 
especially my father traveled a lot. So when he was home on the weekends, he uh, really uh, pumped up the stereo. Did he ever play the violin later in life? I have memories of him playing the violin very rarely. When he turned 50 years old, I decided to take his old violin, which was uh, very valuable, I later found out. But it was cracked, and the bridge was broken, and so on. And I got it all repaired in hopes that he would take it up again. And he never did. Hmm. Where is it now? He sold it because he needed the money huh. before he died. Um, if you had to think which back... Which is very sad to hear. If you had to think back to an, an early musical memory that pops into your head... Like, what would it be? With my father playing in the living room of our garden apartment and the expression on his face, if you've ever seen Yitzchak Perlman play, the expression and the emotion on his face when he would s s uh, just slide that bow across the violin is indelible in my mind. And that would have been when you were little because you and said that you was moved when, when I you were six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So because those are so early, um, is, is it a, an image? Like, do you hear an actual, like a specific song? Do you remember? Or no, just like him just playing is this kind I of... Just, mm -hmm, hmm. just hear the notes. Did you realize that he was really good at what he did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He won medals. He won awards. He got recognition in New York City. He went to the High School of Music and Art in huh. Manhattan, where many famous people graduated. And he was one of them. Um, when did you first pick up an instrument? Um, I picked up an instrument. Uh, I was forced. Forced. I. I was. <laughs> uh, it was uh, expected that I, I go out and take piano lessons uh, at probably uh, nine, ten years old, uh, and I never caught on to that. I tried very hard to read music and never did, and just faked my way through it. I have a great ear. Uh, I was told, and uh, I <laughs> ended up practicing and making up my own uh, my own music and my own songs, uh, and got through it for a few years and learned basic theory and chord structure, but never learned how to read music uh, the way uh, I should have. And so it was a while then before you picked up a guitar? And then I picked up a guitar around 13, okay. 12, 13 years old. I bought a Beatles book. Uh, and uh, since I knew the songs and uh, just looked at the chord charts and uh, figured it out. What was the first music you owned? Mm. Probably, I, I used to buy 45s, you know, uh, singles that came out, Stones, Beatles, so on. Um, if you could learn an instrument instantly, which would it be? The cello. The cello. Why? I love the cello. Hmm. What about the cello do you love? <laughs> the sound. Yeah? The emotion. The soul. You know, uh, John Davis, he, you were on the show with John Davis. Yeah. There. You know, he's a really good cello player. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he grew up playing classical stuff, but now he can go and he's developed that talent to be able to just sit down with a band or a group or a guitar player and just kind of sidle up and play and play with him. Yeah, he's well, like a session player now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Had I known, my last album, which I recorded last year, there are three songs on that album with, I, I, I had to hire a cellist uh, out in L.A. 
Had I known John was a cello player, that would have been a slam dunk. Well, now you know. Wow. <laughs> and he's done some recording with some people around town here and whatnot. Um, your, your album came out last year? Yeah. Uh, which that is called, I have it written down here, but I don't have my glasses on. Which one is that? Rush of Hope. <laughs> Rush of Hope. Um, where did you record it? In L.A. Yeah? Um, how's it been going? It's been going well. I, last week uh, I heard that uh, my songs have been played on the air in a few stations around the country. I just heard one was played in New York and sporadic, uh, you know, sales, you know, are normally gauged at, uh, you know, gold, platinum and so on. I think my album sales are uh, between cardboard and plastic. It's like a two-year wedding anniversary. Right. (laughs) 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 Okay, let's get to your first song. What is it? Uh, The first song is Fly Me to the Moon. Yeah. And why? You've already kind of alluded to it, but why did this one make it to your list of three? Am I supposed to sing it, Mike? Is, uh, that, is that what you want me? Um, you we, can't, you, we would be okay. Yeah, we're okay with that. <laughs> Instead, uh, you, you have the. Re- we're gonna listen. I have the recording, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I w- I was six, seven years old and asked to sing, "Fly me to the moon, and let me play among the stars." Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, darling, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. I think I screwed up the words. <laughs> Please be true. So, so that song was not written by... Um, Frank Sinatra. No, popularized written, by. Uh, it, but would you Kevin have remembered? Hart, I believe, the, would you? Is your first memory of that song the Frank Sinatra version of it? Yes, with count. That was a count with Count Basie, Count Basie as yeah. the um, uh, orchestrator, the arranger. Uh, uh, he, he gave it a swing. Uh, Fly me to the moon, believe it or not. When it was, you know, from I'm interested from a songwriter perspective sure. also. Was actually written in three four time. Um, so is mm-hmm. so three four is um, bop 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 bop. Fly me to the moon and let me play among mm-hmm. the stars. And then Sinatra got a hold of it and Count Basie and just totally turned around the beat and gave it a swing type of uh, arrangement and just made it an explosive hit. There's also a Quincy Jones version that's and, in four four. Oh, wow. Like, Fly me to the moon. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> so when you hear that song, what memory does it um, spring forth? Well, what happened was, uh, see, my father would play these songs, and it was just like ingrained in me. And I learned the song through osmosis, just probably half asleep on a Saturday morning, and he's blasting the stereo, which back then was a piece of furniture right. on four legs, wood. And then there was a turntable inside, and there was a bin for the LPs and uh, speakers as part of the cabinet. 
And um, he had friends over. My mother and father had friends over one night. And he asked me to come down and perform that song in front of his friends. And that was my first taste of performance and applause and audience. And it was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> acapella? <laughs> Definitely acapella. Did you remember the words? Yeah, <laughs> I did. To this day. <laughs> um, well, would you like to listen to it with us? Sure. Okay. This is uh, Fly Me to the Moon, Frank Sinatra's version from 1964. Uh, you. When was the last time you listened to it? Like oh, intently? Decades. Really? You know, the signature thing at the end... Uh, with the piano, da, mm -hmm. da, da, is a signature Count Basie thing that he does on a few of Sinatra songs. Hmm. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, I could really, I could really picture the scene that you were describing. You know, with your dad cranking it up on the old cabinet sound system and whatever. But the story with this song um, goes to uh, his deathbed when he was in hospice, and I. Um, was just sitting there with my family and just basically waiting for him to pass. And he was on morphine drip and he was pretty much a, a vegetable and just laying there. Uh, and it was any moment now. And um, I brought a little player, CD player, and I popped in Sinatra. And his eyebrows went up hmm. right before he died. Hmm. That was um, the influence and his recognition of that type of music, and just the power of music and how it connects. And the power to, of music, how it connects to us. You got that right. Um, <clears throat> well, that's a really touching story. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, there's a movie called Alive Inside, where there's this guy that goes around and donates. He collects donated. Um, music players ipods and he brings them to uh, long-term care facilities for people who have alzheimer's and when they put on the headphones sometimes people who haven't communicated in years will stand up and start singing and dancing wow because they're hearing the songs from when they were you know creating the memories from their lives so um that brings up an interesting memory um along those lines when uh the great recession hit 2008 2009 uh, and I was severely impacted and uh, lost my day job and uh, almost lost my house in foreclosure, lost my cars. Uh, it was a bad time and it went on for several years, similar to what's going on now with a lot of people struggling mm -hmm. out there. But it was really scary. I was a, a young father and had two children I had to feed and so on and so forth. Uh, and a dear friend of mine uh, asked me to volunteer <laughs> during that time at an adult vocational facility for mentally and physically handicapped adults mm -hmm. once a week, bring my guitar. And he played drums. And the two of us played to these people who normally would sit in a chair and rock back and forth or would sit and gaze out the window or would be in a wheelchair or whatever. And I did that for a few years during my uh, dark days 
during the Great Recession. And we saw people getting up when the music played, and we rocked out, hmm. dancing with each other, and we have pictures of that. And it just confirms and validates the incredible power of music. Absolutely. And it's, you know, what, what we get to use is sort of the lever for this show, which, yeah. which we feel like we're, we're cheating, practically. <laughs> Doesn't it? Because this, yeah. this, this show is such an amazing idea. <laughs> cool. It really is brilliant. Isn't it, uh, was it Angel Duncan that told us about, like, the part of your brain where you store memories is the part that lights up when you're listening to music too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wonderful. So we had a we had a guest who was a is a, I don't want to say this she's wrong. A brain, she's brain, a neurologist. Yeah, guess, no, she's a neuroscientist. Neuroscientist. Yes, yeah. and she was she was a guest on the show, and that's what she she was doing research on like music and and memory and brains. Well, there you go. Do you ever cover "Fly Me to the Moon"? No, <laughs> no. You come up with a five-four time version. <laughs> what a great idea! Is that such a thing? It's, yeah. Any signature can it be is. done. Dave Brubeck yeah. did take yeah, five. song. You know, that's um, five-four. Dave Brubeck sat in that studio fifteen years ago. Yeah. Seriously? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, he was in town uh, when we first launched Gulf Coast Live. Um, he was um, out playing at a place out on Sanibel that used to have jazz. And I got to leave this station in my van and drive to Sanibel and bring him back here and then drive him back out to Sanibel. And the funny thing was, is oh my goodness. I didn't look him up and I wasn't a jazz fan. Oh. So on the trip in, I didn't know who he was. Right. And so we just had a good old time, just me and this guy. And then I listened to the show because I was the producer. And then I drove back, and I knew who he was. <laughs> and I was afraid I was going to drive <laughs> off the road. <laughs> Absolutely true story. Oh, man. Okay, so when did you write your first song? Probably 13, 14 years old. I wrote a song called uh, Isn't It a Beautiful Day. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was my first song. Could you remember the lyrics to it? I'm embarrassed. Um, <laughs> That's the first line. <laughs> no, but uh, it, it w- I don't remember the lyrics. No, I'd have a, to look it up. That's uh, okay. And it, but but the melody uh, was gorgeous, and uh, uh, I, I'm really into uh, major seventh chords a lot when I when I um, when I write, and uh, that was the first song I wrote, and it was full of major seventh chords and it's been that way ever since so what's the uh what's the the oldest song you have in your repertoire in terms of when it came out of you you know what's one that you still play that you wrote as far back as you can think god what a great question why didn't you tell me these questions before i came on the air we're all about spontaneity oh my goodness and plus, we're not in any hurry so plus then we get to I, hear someone go that's a great question you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't play songs that are that are really super old um um i usually i i play a lot of my songs from from my first album which I recorded in 2015. Okay, so it's not so pretty much 2015 forward. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I uh, go back to. I did a lot of work uh, trying to write um, hit songs in Nashville, uh, 
and uh, and co-wrote with a few people. So sometimes I bring those up, um, and those are from uh, the early like two thousand five ish, two thousand ten. Gotcha. Um, and uh, but but mostly. 2015 forward. Okay. So what brought you to Florida? Did your whole family come down here? Yeah, my whole family came down when I was like uh, 15 years old. Was that like, Uh, you know, coming from New York to Ohio to Southeast Florida? Southeast Florida? Right. What was that like? It was culture shock. Good Uh, culture shock? No, bad 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 culture shock. (laughs) I I mean, during that time, uh, there was a lot going on as far as protests, uh, similar to what's going on now, back when I moved down to southeast Florida. So I was involved in a lot of things going on up north, just starting high school, Mm -hmm. Uh, sit-ins, protests, uh, you know, all kinds of things that... I was very aware of stuff going on in the world. And then I was moved down to Southeast Florida. And um, it was uh, a lot of narrow-mindedness down here. Uh, One story in particular, I was at a gym class and and I befriended uh, a black guy. And, uh, you know, we hung out. Uh, But I also befriended a lot of white people. And um, when they saw me with my black friend, uh, I was shunned. Hmm. Uh, And uh, it was a very uncomfortable feeling. I had never experienced anything quite like that. Did you talk about that with your black friend? No. No, good question, Mike, but no. Uh, it just was uh, – it was It was a short time in that school, thank goodness, uh, and, uh, and I just moved on. Uh, but I was there moving down from uh, n- up north. I was in that school for only three months, and having that experience was just shocking. Hmm. Shock- and there was no awareness at all with what was going on in the world. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say, was it like moving to a different country where everybody up there Mm -hmm. was talking about it and down here it was Mm -hmm. like la, 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 la? Mm -hmm. Huh. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting context for Florida. You know, I was, um, I had an older brother who has since passed and he was a big influence in my life as well. Uh, And he went to, uh, right before we moved, he was uh, a student at Ohio State University. So this was a, during the Martin Luther King assassinations, the Kennedy assassinations, and I have memories of him coming home with tear gas in his eyes from from the protests, anti-Vietnam things going on, and um, uh, and that that is my frame of reference, and uh, to this day, uh, and and I'm just blown away that this is still going on blown away things are going backwards and it's just horrible i have been writing a lot of songs uh along those lines and uh the last uh four or five six months uh and uh i think i'm going to be doing a video soon uh based on one of those songs called a message uh 
and um, uh, it's just um, heartbreaking to see what's going on. Um, I know from just, you know, having listened to your episode on Gulf Coast Live and you oh, know, reading you. up. Well, I was in here in the booth when it happened, ah, actually. Right. So, um, uh, And also just, you know, reading some stuff. You, you have, um, uh, it seems like you have a pretty consistent theme of, you know, optimism, hope, things like that in your songwriting. Is what you're describing now that's come out in response to what's going on, uh, is it that or is it a little bit more pushy back or you know no it's it's still optimistic because i think that uh you've got to have faith in in, in that things are going to turn around positive uh you know um i wrote a song recently uh called thank goodness for the giving people during this pandemic uh and i talk about in the song uh the person giving food to uh, a mother waiting in line in her SUV who is in tears because she never thought she'd be in this situation uh, to a truck driver who drives all night and all day and is away from his family uh, is another verse. And then there's a bridge that talks about, and I don't know if a song has ever had a reverend and a rabbi zooming hope on the screen <laughs> as a line, uh, a teacher uh, stopping by to say hi to their student, uh, a farm worker working in the fields of green, you know, and th those are images of hope and these are all giving people and uh, a doctor who's retired who's still saving lives, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm, that's the type of stuff I'm writing about. Um, when was the last time you played out? Oh, my God. <laughs> Has it been? I mean, you haven't played uh, since March 15th or so. No. Well, I have. Uh, I've been on uh, on uh, shows. Uh, I've invited, I was invited to a few shows on in, uh, Internet stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. But that's just so weird. There's so many of us are just so technically stupid. <laughs> you know, uh, the writers, the creators, and and, and I'm just so uh, glad to see that people are starting to understand how to mic and how to do sound on, on the internet because mm -hmm. it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and if you, I, I've never had to deal with that stuff in my whole life. I've always left it up to other people. I don't even like recording at home my songs because I just get so crazy and uh, sidetrack that you know the the creativity goes out the window uh, so I always go into a studio uh, to record my songs and let the technical stuff be handled by right. other people yeah um, but in this case you're by yourself right. I mean and I have Facebook friends that uh, have had amazing hit songs and <laughs> they just don't know a thing about yeah, uh, you know the technical stuff. Uh, so I haven't been doing a lot of that as a result, because uh, I'm not confident in in getting the sound right, and I'm, I'm, I'm very particular with getting the sound right. Uh, so I've do, I've done a few of those shows, but not meant not enough. Um, not, okay, not before we get to your second song, second song. If you were a championship wrestler, what would the song be that you would come into the arena on? So good, it's on the nose. 
Uh, okay, real quick. If you were a cocktail or drink, what would it be? <laughs> a sunriser. A sunriser. What is that? I have no idea. But yeah, you, it's got to have vodka in it. You got to make it. <laughs> we're, we're creating a cookbook or a drink. Vodka book. and orange juice. Vodka and orange juice. Anything else to make it? No. Uh, well, that's make a, that's it just a screwdriver. <laughs> Call it what you wish. Only three ice cubes. Right. <laughs> okay. uh, there, hey, there's a drink called a vodka sunrise. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. Okay. Um, okay. Time for song number two. How would you like to handle this? It's uh, it's it's. I can't get no satisfaction. Go ahead, play it. Uh, go ahead and play it. Okay, I like it. Here we go. Uh, this is uh, I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones from their 1965 album Out of Our Heads. What's the story? Oh, I must have been around 10 years old, around 1965, when I first heard that song. And I was dropped off at our community center. And I remember getting out of the car and just hearing that song on the AM radio and uh, of the car. And I was just blown away. I just had the most amazing rush. I can't dance, but I may have been dancing at that moment, uh, if not really uh, dancing, certainly in my mind. The song, the riff, uh, 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 was brilliant. It's just so simple. The beat is so simple. The message, I love the message, and I have been writing message songs all my life, you know, that the man comes on the TV and tells me how white my shirt can be. I mean, that type of stuff just blew me away. Um, the mix of acoustic guitars against electric guitars I had never heard before. Um, the sexiness of the performance the tambourine um, just blew me away. And I just remember, the story with this song is I just remember hearing that song for the first time and just getting an amazing rush. Hmm. Did you know who the Rolling Stones were? No. No. Okay. Well, that's really, I mean, that's important context, too, because that yeah. means that was, you know, that was your introduction to not only it, but them. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know when the Beatles came on TV for the first time in the U.S. Richard will look it up, but I think it was around that time also. Sullivan, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, the Ed Sullivan appearance uh, that's '64. Okay, so, so it was a year yeah. before. I want to hear wow. that song turned up loud coming out of an AM radio. Oh my! God. You know what I mean? Like, because because that adds to it too. I used to listen to a lot of AM radio before everything moved over. None of that stuff was ever on FM during those uh -huh. days. You just didn't hear that stuff. Yeah. You heard album cuts. Yeah. You know, and huh. jazz. <laughs> uh, did you ever see the Rolling Stones? I never did. It's not too late. I know. <laughs> but I, it's It'll amazing. never be too late. <laughs> They'll be the first band that goes straight into, like, you know, virtual. You know what I mean? They'll create robot bodies for them, and it'll just, just live on going. forever. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I think we are. That'll I'm, be how AI arises. We'll, yeah. act, we'll, we'll accidentally get Keith Richards. Keith Richards will get out of control when he <laughs> put his brain into a robot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, we are like cosmically um, obligated to mention the the trivia about the writing of that song. You know Which this? is? Do you know the story, Robert? No. So. Um, 
Keith Richards apparently wrote um, that song in his sleep. They they were on tour. He had a Philips cassette player, and in the morning he listened back to like what had been recorded while like that he couldn't remember. And there's like two and a half minutes of the riff on an acoustic, just that bump bump ba and just kind of working through the chords. And then he said, "You can hear the you can hear the pick fall and forty minutes of snoring." Ah. <laughs> And so they, and so then they took that and they gave it to um, to Mick, and he wrote the lyrics like of like way later, um, right before they. It said like four days before they went to record it, he wrote the lyrics, um, and that's how that song was born, kind of by accident. Yeah, well, that's I what, think that's the magic, probably. I, I think there's only two chords to that whole song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you that's just go back and forth. Incredible, it's incredible, and to be able to have. The breaks, the verses, the choruses, the breaks, and then, oh, my goodness. It was, I don't know. It, it to me, defined and still does rock and roll. Um, Beatles, Stones, don't you have to pick? Do, do, am I, do, do I understand that correctly? No. Like back then, you didn't no, have to. Yeah, you, it's like picking, an, to, a, picking an apple and an orange. Okay. Which do you like better, apples or oranges? <laughs> oh, you are a tough interviewer. <laughs> Compare them, Robert. Uh, oh, which, which you don't have to pick, but which would be an apple? And which would be an orange? Well, no, Beatles would have to be the that's apple. That's the apple. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the Beatles apple. Beatles would have to be the apple. Oh, I think that's solid branding. There um, you go. <laughs> so, how did you wind up in advertising? What was your route into that world? I actually graduated uh, Florida State University and decided to take two years, gave myself two years to try to get the music stuff out of my system. Was I going to make it or break it? And went back up to New York to try to become a superstar. Okay. And um, knocked on doors, played in the village, um, did all kinds of stuff. Went to songwriter groups, um, and I ended up uh, actually writing songs and getting cuts up there, um, but nothing phenomenal. Um, had my first cut when I was during that period when I was up in New York. I ended up, as I said, giving myself two years. Uh, I ended up staying in New York six years. <laughs> um, my first cut. Uh, while I was up there, uh, what was your question? You, what, <laughs> How'd you get into advertising? How did I get into advertising? Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to. I don't want to stray from uh, from that. So that's how I got into advertising because I had to make a living. When and you I say wanted, you have a cut, what do you mean exactly? By somebody record. Okay, you know, that's what I thought. I just wanted to be clear. My, There's my probably songs. young people that don't know what that yeah. means. Like um, <laughs> so I, I, I pursued my music career, but I couldn't make a living. Right. So I went into advertising because I wanted to do something that was still creative. Understood. So that's the answer to your question. Gotcha. So uh, then we can stray from there. So <laughs> well, well, okay, but I do want to stray through from there for a second. Um, do you remember your first like uh, gig or you know open mic or whatever it would have been when you like okay I'm getting in my car I'm leaving Tallahassee I'm going to New York City I'm going to bring my guitar I'm going to play for people. Do you remember? Well, like, what that I beginning? did is um, I I took about a year and a half and stayed in Florida after college okay. and played gigs all up and down the coast of Florida. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then I decided, you know, this is a dead end, and, and I don't really like playing bars, and I, you know, I, I need to get this out of my system. And that's when I moved up to New York. 
thinking I was going to give it a little time, and I ended up staying there a long time. Did you get your first job in advertising while you were there? Yes. Uh, what was that? What were you doing? I, and did you study that in college, or was that just something that you we, no, we worked I, your I way didn't into? No, I just worked my way into it. I wanted to be I, – I didn't intend to be in advertising when I was going to college, but I ended up deciding I want to stay in the creative area. Mm-hmm. Um, college, I did just business, economics, and political science and got a degree. Gotcha. Uh, the uh, advertising um, came uh, just – uh, what did I do? Oh, I started selling newspaper space first. Okay. Then I went into direct mail, and uh, and that that sustained me for for years, and you know, working with artists and creating and putting together. I call advertising art without heart. Uh, ended up, uh, you know, uh, getting involved in the jingle area a little bit. Uh, but I tried to keep my music through uh, throughout my advertising profession separate from the day-to-day advertising stuff. And when the information leaked out that I also wrote songs, gotcha. They were like, "Hey, uh, get Robert to work saying, on this." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting involved in, and then I moved down to South Florida. Uh, to continue my career, my day job, as well as my songwriting, and um, became involved in some amazing campaigns musically. Uh, I worked uh, for about 13 years with uh, Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive and uh, the Guess Who uh, with the Taking Care of Business campaign with Office Uh Depot (laughs) and ended up producing... 13 years worth of uh, of his work. Wow. But, uh, you know, traveling all around uh, New York, uh, Nashville, Atlanta, L.A., New Orleans, you know, all, all different kinds of versions of taking care of business, <laughs> Office Depot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was one of the most successful branding campaigns uh, in the history of advertising according to several books that have been written about branding. Um, So that was cool. And then I also wrote a lot of my own stuff uh, for, uh, as I had, I I mentioned in in this paper that I I submitted to you, uh, the Sports Authority and Michael's uh, Arts and Crafts stores and, and Levitt's Furniture and Swim and Sports Shops, I won awards. a few banks, PetSmart, um, and so on, and, uh, and and that was very uh, fulfilling. Uh, and working with amazing musicians all over. Talk about the Rolling Stones. To circle back to that, when I was producing and uh, and writing uh, the uh, Levitt's Furniture Jingle up in New York. Uh, and we brought in a horn section. The horn section was in town from being on tour with the Rolling Stones during <laughs> that during my Levitt's furniture <laughs> session. <laughs> so that was pretty amazing because these guys, you know, you know, one take and they're done. Right. And they make their money. Um, phenomenal experience. 
Is that a, a niche that's separate from the music industry, or is that all just part of the music industry? I think it's an overlap. Yeah. Um, more so than ever, because commercial music right now, TV and radio commercials right now, are doing a lot of singer-songwriter stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, meaningful, heartfelt, uh, messagey stuff. Uh, which never was the case. It was always come see what's new, yeah, you yeah. know, or on sale now, you know, type of thing. Um, you love it at Levitt's, whatever. Um, when you would work on a jingle, would you sit down at a piano or a, with your guitar and kind of bust out some basics and then move it along? Or how would you get it from your brain and your team into musicians? Well, I don't write music. Physically, I don't know how to read or write right, music. Right. I, I never figured that out. I, I don't think my brain is wired to do that. But um, uh, I am able to just uh, record the ideas huh. on, on a whatever I have available uh, and then translate that to, produ to people who uh, would produce yeah. or uh, arrange whatever. Uh, and did a lot of work with uh, session people out in L.A. Uh, for many years. And, and there are uh, studios that just do that and they make a fortune right. doing that. Back in the day anyway, uh, a friend that I had uh, uh, become close to back then uh, wrote the – well, I, a few friends. Uh, one friend wrote the uh, jingle to um, one of the game shows that was very popular and to this day gets royalties from that. Uh, another friend of mine wrote the music to the CBS Evening News uh, when Dan Rather was doing the, the Evening News and pretty much uh, made his life's uh, – <laughs> Right. He retired on uh, the retired Evening on News yes. song. Yeah, he pretty much retired on that. Wow. Every night. I mean, uh, what's his name? John Williams, who wrote the music to Star the, Wars. the NBC uh, Evening News. Oh. Um, you know, God knows how much money he's making on that on a nightly basis. Uh, huh. One of my – Never even thought of that. You know? It's amazing yeah. the, the the money that uh, I got a check once from um, NBC Universal. They told me after they never asked me permission to use my music, but uh, it was a, a Jimmy Fallon epi uh, show one night, and they brought on a comedian and they looked up a, a jingle that that I had written, uh, and so I was an ASCAP writer, and they they just used the music. And then and then sent me a check. Well, at least they sent you a check for six seconds. Wow! I got a check with a comma on it. Wow! It's called a bump on when they introduce a, a guest to uh -huh. come on the uh -huh. show. Uh -huh. I think music. it's a walk on or yeah. a bump on. Yeah, like, the curtains come bump, apart. Bump. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, da, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get a check. Wow. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you can make a lot of money doing that stuff. Huh. Um, before we get to your third song, um, did you ever watch Mad Men, the TV show? Very interesting you brought that up because on my way over here, I was thinking if I have to describe the scene of what the grown-ups looked like 
when I sang Fly Me to the Moon oh, yeah. in 1965. <laughs> I thought of the mad, mad Men. They looked like that because on a Saturday night, even though you're going to somebody's home for drinks, cocktails, and dinner, they would wear a tie. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. And a white shirt, like Mad Men. Hmm. So I thought of that image, yeah. And you did watch the show? Oh, Did you watch absolutely. it all, all the way to the end? Absolutely. Wasn't that a really nice way to end it? Yeah. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Have you seen it, Richard? Uh, I have not seen the ending. It, no. it, gave me, um, it gave hope to the fact that people who are in advertising actually have a heart. Yeah, yeah. No, they, I think they ended, of all the, the shows I really liked um, that went on for, you know, a number of years, yeah. I think that was one of the most solid endings. It was. I'm not going to spoil it for somebody to go watch it. Yeah. Okay, your third song. Yeah, Richard, you need to watch it. I'll, <laughs> I'll finish it post-haste. Yeah. What, yep. uh, what would you like to do with this third song? Leon Russell has been a huge influence in my life. Um, and this next song, I don't know which cut you, you have, but the first time I heard this song was when he played it. I think I was like 14-ish years old. And there was a show on PBS on a public television where I was at the time. And uh, he played this song as part of this program called The Homewood Sessions where he was there in a stu big studio with the shelter people and people with the shelter people, including, well, um, a, a lot of cool people. Uh, and he just blew me away. His talent, he was part of the, the Wrecking Crew, which uh, is a, uh, circling back to Sinatra, Leon Russell played uh, on many Sinatra albums when he was an L.A. session person. And um, so now forward to the Homewood Sessions, uh, his musicianship blew me away. His attitude blew me away. His style of music was amazing. And this song called A Song For You uh, was something that um, has left a huge impact in my life uh, as far as how I write songs, how I perform. Because when I, when I play gigs, uh, I perform on the piano as well as the guitar. And I've been told I, I have a Leon Russell type of feel. PBS? When, when, uh, Keep going. We're doing something in the background here. Yeah. Try not okay. to pay, pay no attention to the people you're staring at. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, uh, when I saw that show, uh, I was it, it has been with me for my whole life. Hmm. So, yeah. What year would that have been? Probably 1970. I have the album version. Yeah, that's but what that's Richard's fine. here doing is trying to look up it to see if right. we can find the actual one you heard because the internet, yeah. right? Yeah, you, you, it's on YouTube. Uh, look up Homewood, uh, a song for you, Homewood, Homewood Sessions. Yeah. The Homewood Sessions, and it should be there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's listen to it. That? This is yeah. The, we're gonna do this on the fly here. Uh, this is a song for you. Again, uh, I could sing it for you a cappella. Leon like. Russell. <laughs>
you can sing along with your microphone off. Not that we don't mind your singing. We love your singing. We have more singing on the horizon, by the way. So this is, yeah, a, a, a song for you, Leon Russell, from the PBS Homewood session. I'm so glad we found that version because that's, that's so like, you know, it, it is what your memory was. Plus, I just got to see what you saw, and that was just great. Yeah. It, uh, how do you feel? I feel um, I feel like I'm in the 70s. That's what I was just going to say. It was I like felt, a time was, traveling was, through a tiny it was window. Just, it was December 5th of, two, of 1970, and what it made me think was I was trying to think back to that time, and like the 60s had just ended and the 70s were on their way, and somehow right. that just felt like, here we go. This is the end of the first year of this decade, and that's what it made me think anyway. Yeah, yeah, and and the ambiance of, of what went on in that room. Yeah, there was a woman making ba a baked good, that it was, looks like. That was Sweet Emily, Oh. and he wrote a song called Sweet Emily, hmm. uh, and that's Emily. This guy smoking in the studio? In, the, in the, yeah, there's, I mean, there's... A lot of stuff I gotta watch going the whole on. thing now. Yeah. A lot of stuff. It's an amazing uh, moment in time. Um, uh, I, that's the one song I cover huh. when, when I play live. That's the only song that that's you the cover. only song that I cover. Wow. How um, how many times have you played it? A million times. A million times. <laughs> Do you uh, you play it with the guitar or you play it with keyboard? Piano. You play it with piano, mm -hmm. huh? So I guess you were, you, you were glad you got forced to play piano when you were yes. a kid. You know? Yes, it was a blessing. So are you, um, are you a better pianist or guitarist? I'm, I, I suck at both. <laughs> uh, which is the apple. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, um... Speaking of singing, do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you'll sing with us or for us? Everybody knows your name. I watched an episode of that the other day, just on random. I was just like, I'm going to pull up some, some cheers. God, it holds up so good. Of course. I mean, it holds up so... Just that, that's an amazing song. That's a great song. Well, let's do it. You, yeah, you're going to know where you can go. Okay, we'll pull up the actual... <laughs> while, while Mike's pulling it up, I'll, I'll tell a, like an adjacent story. I um, So I, I, I saw Cheers way too young um, at my grandma's house as a little kid, like in first and second grade. Uh, in the middle of the day, Nickelodeon played sitcoms so like cheers and mash were part of my life far oh. too young to be watching it but i i that theme song i can hear it anytime in my head right and a few years ago i became kind of obsessed with learning to play it on piano because it's just such a it's, rich yes, arrangement yes and i think i drove my wife nuts yeah. because I, I spent i think like two <laughs> weeks just just working measure by measure until i could play it and it's so satisfying to play because it's the real it's the song it's the real song i know yeah I know. well here, here, here you got it i got it awesome all right wow making your way in the world today takes everything you've got taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot we know those middle words <laughs> would you like to get away 
Oh, this is the extended version. It's in the mail. I love it. It's a song. Wow, there's a, it's a song story. Third fiance didn't show. Sometimes you go on. Go where everybody knows your name. I don't remember the synthesizers. Glad you came. that Robert went for the ah-ah accompaniment. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was really good. What a supportive uh, uh, co-singer. Yes, we <laughs> often have to really pull that out of people, so oh, thank you for that. That was an easy one. Uh, uh, do you, you, you might actually say yes to this. Like my last like four guests have said no. Do you listen to music on the radio in your car? No, I'm I'm a public. I'm a, public, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a I'm an NPR. I'm always on. In, I'm Not always even a on little. Public. Like you don't ever, no. never. No, it's funny because all the my most recent guests have been very young, and they're like they looked at me like I was crazy. Like why would I? turn on that thing you know because that's not how they listen to music anymore right but so you just listen to npr i'm so. always on npr okay well, hey, we appreciate it <laughs> yeah no we appreciate that yeah actually uh so how do you listen to music when you're at home do you have loud a, uh, do you have <laughs> do you have a vinyl and a system do you have a bluetooth speaker just describe your home sound setup uh headphones um like this uh, oh, we're on the radio, right? No one can see me. Nobody can see you. Except so we we have headphones with big black cups on. Oh yeah, all yeah, of us. yeah. So I have one of those, and I plug into my laptop. Okay. Um, you wrote a musical or co-wrote a musical. Oh my goodness! Yes, South Beach. Yes, the musical. What's that all about? Oh my goodness! Thank you, Mike. I do due diligence. You're amazing. <laughs> 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 so that was written about the preservation well the the, the metaphor was uh, the preservation of the art deco buildings in South Beach but the um, th that was a metaphor for preserving family uh, and not and keeping units together and not letting the families go away hmm so it was kind of like that going on. So the musical was all about bringing up the culture of South Beach, which included um, immigrant workers and hotels, um, models, a lot of, uh, you know, fashion models, uh, very uh, gay and hetero going on down there, um, a lot of... Um, all, all the stuff that we could put together, I co-wrote it with uh, a creative director that I was working with at the time uh, in, in an advertising agency. And together we wrote this thing in three or four months, 18 songs. And um, it was probably the most creatively satisfying experience I've ever had in my life. And we took this show up to New York and presented it to the producer of Hairspray. And he listened, because I had to perform it live on the keyboard uh, and sing it. 
and uh, and then we would introduce the next scene and then the song. And it went on for a couple of hours. Hmm. And he sat there on the couch. Here's a guy who's making billions yeah. on hairspray. Yeah, he's, ma- he, he's making $1,000 for every minute Every second that I'm singing. <laughs> and and he's has sitting there on his couch with a, a yellow legal pad taking copious notes. And um, at the end, it was like taking a master class in writing a musical. And he said, it's really good, guys. But this is how you need to take it from good to great. And on the plane ride home, we were it was the most exciting plane ride home. We uh, just rewrote everything. Uh, one of the people that gave us feedback was one of the producers that I worked with in New York uh, in my jing- producing a jingle, right? Because he was very uh, active on Broadway as well. His wife was the first Annie huh. on Broadway. Uh, uh, Kayla Hoff was his last name, and he heard the musical and he said, "You know what, you guys are missing. You're missing a penis." <laughs> <laughs> You gotta have a penis, <laughs> which is, you know, we needed a love a love interest uh-huh. for one of the main. I characters. wanted you to explain exactly what you meant. Yeah, <laughs> this is a South Beach. Yeah, <laughs> that was Broadway speak for you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. get a boyfriend uh, in there. Yeah, yeah, get a love interest. So it was a hell of a learning experience. So we rewrote the thing. It was during the Great Recession, two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Uh, theaters had no budgets. Uh, advertising was advertisers were bailing. Uh, donations were bailing. Uh, but we went into a theater in Miami after we rewrote this thing and uh, presented it to uh, the um, Miracle Theater in Miami, uh, which does uh, uh, local uh, musicals. And brings in out-of-town musicals. And we did a formal reading uh, and sold out the theater uh, and actually had Broadway um, actors uh, doing the reading with us uh, who were in town. Uh, and uh, they just didn't – it had a big cast. Our musical South Beach, the musical, had a cast of about 26 people and nobody was going to invest in anything like that during that time. And it never went anywhere. Hmm. But it's never too late. No, of course not. Now's not probably the right time. If anyone's listening. <laughs> no, now the, the time again is bad. Right, that's what I'm saying. But know. if anyone's listening and you happen to have money to invest in a musical, give me or Mike a call. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are, we're coming up to the end here, but I'm going to speed round you some questions, okay? So just, you know. Yes. Uh, so you dance? No. Okay. You said yes. Uh, karaoke? I hate karaoke. Karaoke to me is like um, paint by numbers for an artist. Okay. Um, Not creative. Uh, how long have you been in Southwest Florida? Four years. Have you been involved with the ACMA that entire time? Yes. That's a great place. Love 
the ACMA. They embraced me and uh, have made staying here in Fort Myers that much better. Uh, it's a great community. Are they doing live shows yet? They're doing over the uh, internet. So they're yeah, starting but no, nothing back, nothing back nothing, in the physical three no. D world yet. Nope, that's a shame. Um, when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? I don't know. Hmm. I. It's been a while then. I do know. I duplicated hundreds of my albums, <laughs> and that costs money. There you go. Um, uh, <laughs> album you have spent the most time listening to throughout your life? Um, believe it or not, it's a Poco album. I love Poco. I think they were revolutionary in um, merging uh, folk, uh, country, and rock and roll, and they're – uh, musicianship and their songwriting is just amazing. Who is it? Poco. How do you spell that? P-O-C-O. I have made it to 48 and three quarters without knowing who they are. Mike. <laughs> Check them out. Poco. Yeah, there's a... there. Richard, you got Poco? I, I don't know anything about them. That's like when uh, Nathan so, Hill brought up bread. The, and I was the, like, bread? That's a There's a band called Bread? I yeah. didn't know about bread until two years there you ago. Go. <laughs> They uh, the 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 recordings of all their albums is like top notch. You know the engineering, the mastering, and you you meld all that together with the incredible musicianship, uh, and the songwriting, and the performances. And uh, I just listen to them all the time. I never get tired of them. Hmm. By the way, if you play the Homewood sessions on YouTube and mm -hmm. let the algorithm just play video after video after video. This much later, it's Paul Simon playing his song, You Can Call Me Al, with, he's dancing with, um, what's his name? Richard, what's his name? Is that Chevy Chase? Chevy Chase, yeah. That's, what's oh, that's, that's what a, I'm trying not to pay attention to. That's a classic, <laughs> classic uh, video. Um, if you could collaborate with anybody uh, on a musical project, and let's say they can be anybody alive or dead, who would it be? Burt Bacharach. Hmm. hmm. Is he alive or dead? I don't he's still alive. He's still alive. Yeah, I, I thought think he's he probably in, in was. his eighties. Uh, Why? Like, uh, what? What is it about him? He's just brilliant. He's a brilliant writer. Yeah, he's, he's a brilliant musician. How would that collaboration? Uh, he's look? also impacted my life a lot, a huge, uh, in uh, in my songwriting. How would that collaboration look? Yeah, yeah. What? What, um, would, what would? Who would play what role? And and would you be writing for him? Would he be writing with you? Would you guys be performing together? Like, what would that look like? I would love to perform together with him. Um, he has just uh, probably he would play piano, and I would sing, okay. and I would write the lyrics because he doesn't write, really write lyrics. He he. Uh, collaborated for I mean he made his career with Hal David who wrote lyrics uh, and you know What the World Needs Now mm. was one of their great songs and their messages are always wonderful um, if you're listening Bert you know we've got a collaborator for you um, a 14 year old you looking forward to you here today what 14 year old you think of you here today um, 
the 14-year-old would look at me and say, you never gave up on your dream. Yeah. And you're still, you're still trying to make it and you're still trying to write and you're still trying to create. And uh, that is a result of, uh, I think, my father giving up his violin and uh, I never wanted to be that person who gave up on their music the way he did. Hmm. Well, we're going to have you play a song here in a second, but we okay. got one last question, Richard. Yeah. Richard. Okay, so uh, using your three songs that you've brought as the answers, you must choose one song that you can preserve for posterity forever for the whole world. It'll never fall out of fashion or knowledge. The second song you name is one that it's the only song that you get to listen to for the rest of your life. <laughs> so you, you listen to music, that's the song you're listening to. That is music now. That is music to you, yeah. And then uh, the third is a song that you must remove from history. So it never oh my existed. So you have to have choose. You, do you ask these questions to all the other people? We Recently. do. This is a fairly recent <laughs> This, I, this, this is like heard. the sixth or seventh person <laughs> yeah. we've asked this yeah. to. Well, the answer to the first question would be a song for you. Okay. Leon Russell. The answer to the second question, the lifer, would probably be Fly Me to the Moon. And, oh, my – how do you sacrifice satisfaction? I, <laughs> oh, even, that's a hard one. You're talking about you're removing it from you existence. You can't kill that. You how can't you, remove it from existence. There would be no rock and roll. So then you gotta you got to move your answers around. Uh, <laughs> my God. Okay. So the lifer would be uh, Fly Me to the Moon. Uh, no, the 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 one I would have to remove from existence would be "Fly Me to the Moon." I'd hate to say that, but uh, the world could would probably be okay without that. But you can't remove satisfaction because that's just huge rock and roll. So which one would that become? And uh, that, that would be the lifer. That would be posterity. That would and be then, posterity. And then you and would then just listen to Leon Russell over and over. A song again. for you, I would never get tired of. Right. Hi, Robert. Hi, Richard. So we decided to do this again real quick before you leave because we realized that in the show we did not ask the three people who you promised to share the show with who you think would be good guests. And you and I talked before the show began and you said you had two of them like like loaded. So let's do those first. The two that I have loaded. One is Alice Schaefer who is one of the founding members of the Fort Myers ACMA. The second person is Marie Knopfzinger, who is a local singer-songwriter. Okay. And... Oh, here comes improv. The third one, who I have not gotten permission yet. This doesn't mean that they have to say yes to us. Okay. It's that you're, you're committing to at least put the show in their hands. And say, hey, I said your name on this thing, so give it a listen. And then we will try to reach out. And if they say no, it's okay. That's totally fine. The third person would be Dan Filgren. Dan Filgren. Yes. Who's that? And he is a dear friend of mine, and he's also a member of the ACMA. He's a songwriter and a singer. And a friend. And a friend. Perfect. Okay. Uh, thank Boy, you so you much. you guys are tough. Oh, no, you've been great. Thank <laughs> you, you so you've much. You've been for, great. Uh, thank well, you. I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to get you set up and we're going to play a parting tune. Thank you. When you're living with the weight of the world on you, 
We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and periodic host. Chris Duff is his executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we are handing it off to Robert. Every now and then a flicker of a shining light Comes along and tells you everything will be alright Where it's coming from is something that you can't explain It's a moment that can help you take away the pain And lighten up that ball and chain It's a rush of hope Like when a stranger stops and smiles A rush of hope Like seeing stars in the sky For a million miles There's hope When something finally goes your way It's a rush of hope When you know somehow It's all time that you hear this tune so addicting you just want to have some more satisfying you a feeling you can't ignore when it's hitting you to the core it's a rush of hope like when you lend a helping hand a rush of hope like when you know and you're taking the stand that oh when something finally goes your way it's a rush of hope when you know somehow it's all gonna be okay Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. We roll up in a town and we're like, what is going on? And there's like a full-on tractor parade <laughs> right down Main Street. And like everyone's older than like 50. I think if you were 50 on a tractor, you were like the young one. <laughs> <laughs>